0: Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. It's the season of Lent, have you noticed? Are you aware? Yeah, I'm sure many of you welcome this season with fond memories of practices and observances from years past, but maybe some of you just wish we could hit the fast-forward button and get to Easter, right? (laughs) You know, some of um, us may be relatively new to the season of Lent and its practices and our annual observances in the life of Christ. Thanks to many of you who joined us this last Wednesday for our Ash Wednesday service, you know, of course, during that service, we had a somber reminder, this moment in which we were reminded that from dust we come and to dust we shall return. But of the response is a beautiful response. I belong to God. That's a reminder for us. When we gather then together and we receive the mark of the cross on our foreheads with ash, in a moment of profound depth and silence, identifying with the sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrates on the cross. You know, dust and ashes. It's not something that's really common in our vernacular or even our experience these days. If you read Old Testament scripture, they talk about dust and ashes pretty frequently, more frequently than you think. These two things, they symbolize the themes at the heart of lens, our physical mortality, but also our lifelong journey of attempting to shrug off the tendencies of sin and instead to lean into the trust and the generosity that God provides to us. The dust speaks of our bodily and spiritual dependence upon God. But all this penance kind of creates a tension in us because we know how the story ends. We know Christ's victory on the cross and his victory over sin and death. And indeed, we are recipients of life everlasting that our loving Father has provided to us. So yes, during the season of Lent, We may be mindful of all that alienates us. But theologian Alexander Schumann says this beautifully, that the season of Lent is a season of bright sadness. (laughs) That's the true gift of Lent. That we may recognize the human evil that exists, even the human evil that nailed Christ to those rough beams. We may lament those things, not only in our past, but even the things that we see happening in society and culture around us. But at the same time, we understand that Jesus, by his death, secured for us forgiveness and eternal life through his resurrection. So in the season of Lent, we kind of feel this tension, don't we? But we are like prisoners whose release draws near. We're like refugees on our way back home. We're like patients for whom the treatment is starting to work. Lent may be sobering in many ways, but it leads us to Easter. And I would love to encourage you, indeed to invite you in embracing this journey of Lent this year. We're invited to identify with Christ in his journey from the beginning of his public ministry to the events leading up to Holy Week in a few weeks. And ultimately his victory over sin and death through his victory on the cross and resurrection. But the stories we tell during this season are stories that begin to highlight the experiences Jesus had as he began this road towards Jerusalem. During Epiphany, after Christmas of course, we emphasized the glory of Christ being made known through his teaching and his miracles. Epiphany was the cycle of light During Lent, we continue to walk with Jesus, but our attention begins to call out these stories in which we see the shadow, his increasingly hostile opponents confront him, the growing heaviness that Jesus had in moments of his spirit, and of course, you know, the ominous betrayal that was to come during the passions of the Holy Week. With the disciples, we may grow uneasy, almost appalled at human sin being enacted around Christ, even maybe around us, the corruption of powers, even raw evil when it comes into view. And while we do know how the story ends, I think it's meaningful for us to journey with Jesus along this Lenten path. That's our theme during this season of Lent, is journeying with Jesus. We start Lent by joining Jesus in a place of solitude, and we continue by walking with him towards Jerusalem, and then, of course, ultimately ending as he kneels and prays in dark Gethsemane. Today, we begin the season of Lent in Mark as we have been over this last season, but we jump back to the beginning. We're back in Mark chapter one again. The lectionary cycle for this year is kind of gives us whiplash in, in Mark as it jumps around a little bit. It can feel jarring, but this is an important account for us. Our passage today brings us to the familiar story of Jesus' baptism, but then his 40 days in the wilderness leading to his public ministry. Really, At the beginning of his journey is a Lenten path that we will see and in many ways that is what we're entering into here at the beginning this first week of Lent as we begin to open the word and to hear the Lord let us pray together gracious God in rushing waters and in dry wilderness in every season and circumstance we need just a standing word By the power of your Holy Spirit, proclaim the good news among us today so that we may repent and believe and see anew how the time is fulfilled and the kingdom that is drawing near to us. In Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll be in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 25. I'm sorry, 9 through 15. Uh, the, the, the scriptures will be on the screen for you, but feel free to follow along. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my del- dearly beloved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days, and he was out among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news, saying, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced, the kingdom of God is near, repent of your sin, and believe the good news. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, many of the verses in this passage might even be familiar as we've touched on these verses over the last you know, handful of weeks. We had an entire sermon based on the proclamation that Christ is God's dearly beloved, bringing great joy. Likewise, we spent a full Sunday on Jesus' words in verse 15, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is drawn near, repent of your sin and believe the good news. But today we're going to be diving and ling- lingering on verses 12 and 13. The spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days and he was out among the wild animals and the angels took care of him. As we enter into the season of Lent, our passage kind of outlines not only the journey that Jesus will be taking, but the journey that we embark during this season. We remember who we are. We work with God to cast off those things which alienate us from this identity. And then finally, we experience at last the life everlasting that God intends for all creation, for our hearts indeed. Perhaps we experience this imperfectly. Perhaps our journey isn't always very smooth. But we do truly begin to inhabit God's country, which is among us and in us and in our hearts through his kingdom. But it begins with a reminder of who we are. Who am I? You are my living beloved. Just as this was spoken over Jesus as he emerged from the baptismal waters on the Jordan, of the Jordan River, so too God speaks these words over you and I. This is God's posture towards us. I wonder what Jesus was experiencing in this moment. Of course, we endeavored through the season of Epiphany and Lent to identify not only with the divinity of Jesus, but the human humanity of Jesus the human experiences, the human emotions he felt, do you ever wonder what his life and experiences were like? As a teenager, as a young man, even in these moments of prelude before he enters into his public ministry, do you ever wonder what Jesus' experiences were like? Once again, identifying with the humanity of Christ, did he ever wonder... Did he ever have misgivings? Did he ever doubt? You and I have a lifetime full of moments like these, (laughs) where we second-guess ourselves, where we wonder, where we maybe are harder on ourselves than others would be, where we feel distant from God, when we feel God near to us, when perhaps in that shocking thought that jumps into your mind as you drive somewhere you ever wonder is this whole thing even real these feelings do not threaten god indeed i would like to say to each of you today god's mind is made up about you and the news is good you are dearly beloved god's mind is made up about you and the news is good You are God's dearly beloved. These words spoken over Jesus must have been a welcome assurance for him in this moment. Even in his divinity, we know that Jesus worked to remind himself not only of his identity, but of his purpose. Jesus significantly said in John chapter five, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does also. But the son, the father loves the son and shows him everything that he is doing. And yet Jesus spent hours in solitude and prayer to reach this confidence that he shares. First and foremost today, even before we begin the Lenten journey, we need to be reminded of God's position towards us that his mind is made up about you and me. And the news is good. We are dearly beloved. But our passage in Mark takes an interesting turn. As soon as we embrace the good news of who we are, what happens next? The Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. And he was among the wild animals and the angels took care of him. Like, if we start trying to rationalize these two sentences. They start sounding weirder and weirder. <laughs> what, is, what in the world is this all about? Well, welcome to the 40-day journey of Lent. And indeed, Jesus' 40 days of preparation. Mark presents this whole 40-day episode in two verses. He doesn't itemize the questions. He doesn't tell us how strenuous it, it was. You know, we just get some bullet points, seemingly, of Mark's PowerPoint of, like, what happened to Jesus. Item number one, 40 days in the wilderness. Item number two, he was tempted by Satan. Wait, how, sir, exactly, was he tempted? Like, what questions were happening? Nope, no time moving on. Number three, he was there with wild beasts. What Were they attacking him with wild beasts? What do you mean? Surrounded by them? Did he fight with them? Did he tame them and make them his pets? You know, would someone please explain this to me? No time. We're moving on. Item number four, he was waited on by angels. Waited on? Did they bring him meals? You know, he was fasting, right? Uh, Did they mop his brow and fan him with a big giant fig leaf or something? We don't know. End of lecture. What was going on here? You know, Mark doesn't seem to know. He perhaps even implies that the accounts that we get in Matthew and Luke of Jesus's time in the wilderness, then maybe they were making stuff up or maybe they had some some sort of insider information that Mark didn't have. Mark seems to imply that it doesn't matter, that you've got what you need. Mark says the important stuff is there. Back up, he says, look at the process. Baptism, the heavens open, the spirit reminds Jesus who he is. But then the gentle spirit becomes an irresistible force, pulling Jesus into the wilderness. Temptation, wild animals, angels. That's all you need to know. And when, just when Jesus finally begins to embrace the belovedness of God, And just like Jesus, we often find ourselves in this situation, then put in the epiphany that we experience is then put into the test or put to test. Whether in refining moments with the Holy Spirit or through brutal situations of struggle, surrounded by wild animals and temptations, we're forced to wrestle or reconcile with the question, do we believe what God says to be true of us? And we find ourselves cast into a world that we aren't necessarily ready for, oftentimes, dealing with things for which we didn't prepare, wondering if we're going to survive. This is when the temptation to lean on our own self reliance rather than God's sustenance is the strongest. There are choices to be made, paths to follow. And we're never sure which is the right one. What will bring us back into the gentle blessing of the Holy Spirit? And what will drive us deeper into conflict with the adversary? And our first thought when these things happen, when these moments happen, when we find ourselves in these situations surrounded by beasts (laughs) like Jesus like, what did I do wrong? Where did I get off track? I wonder if Jesus felt this stumbling into the wilderness. What's going on here? Why am I being tempted with these thoughts? We think surely Jesus must have known what he was doing. It must have been his idea to go and to spend time with the Lord before he began this ministry. But then why does it say the Spirit drove him out? Doesn't that sound like Jesus was kind of a reluctant partner in this experience? I think it may help to look at Matthew's account. It fills in a few of the pieces for us, and I think this helps us. In Matthew four, verses two through 11, it says, for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became hungry. Have you been fasting in any way? Maybe you're hungry for those things you're fasting from during that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt the foot, your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. If you will give, I will give all of this to you, he said, if you will just kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went on his way and the angels came and took care of him. For 40 days he fasts prays, meditates on the convictions that are growing in him as the spirit reveals them to the father's heart to him. The convictions over his years of upbringing, his time in Nazareth, he thinks about God as father and king. He thinks about himself as the beloved son and about his people as a chosen nation. He thinks about his role in bringing about the kingdom of God. And at some level, he knows this will involve suffering and eventual death. He wrestles with all of this, and and the tempter seeks to undermine his confidence in God's word. Both the voice that he heard as he emerged from the water at the river, but the written scripture. He attempts to dissuade Jesus from the path that God has him on, of self-denial, sacrifice, humility, seeming powerlessness that becomes the ultimate power. Why suffer? Why are you doing this to yourself? Turn these stones to bread and satisfy yourself in the same way you could feed yourself and all those hungry around you. Why stay hidden? Leap from this temple and promote yourself for surely the angels will save you. You could prove your divine favor and win so much respect for the kingdom. Why renounce wealth and power? Bow to me in this moment, exalt yourself as a ruler of the world. You could bring liberty and justice to all. Physical comfort, public acclaim, political power. But Jesus says, I will pass your test. But had Christ done as the enemy tempted him to do, he would have been gaining good things through selfish, self-reliant, ill-gotten means. Bread apart from the capital bread. Glory apart from capital glory. Power independent of capital power, or to put it in Genesis three terms, godliness apart from God rather than giving in to the temptation that we fallen humanity oftentimes do, Jesus says no to the tempter and yes to the father. He says no to self and yes to sacrifice. He says no to doubt and yes to faith. He says no to empire and yes to kingdom, no to idolatry and yes to obedience. Oftentimes, these temptations in our own small way, this is the Lenten journey. And in this solitary sojourn that we see Christ, we attempt to turn away from our sin and our temptation in order to face towards the Father in His great mercy. This is kind of what otherwise is known as repentance, this kind of big churchy word. Essentially, it's a matter of turning from our own self reliance and instead facing God in his great mercy. While we usually don't put ourselves in desolate environments for 40 days, we can choose a posture of humility and undertake practices that sharpen our spiritual awareness as Jesus did in his 40 days of fasting in solitude with God. Oftentimes, Kind of traditional for the season of Lent, these practices include prayer in a new way, scripture, moral inventories, or kind of checking in with ourselves where we're at, fasting in many forms, and other acts of abstinence or generosity or service. Even though we know fasting is found all throughout the Bible, some of us have misgivings about the practice fasting may strike us as a type of self-punishment or penance that reflects a negative view of the body with its needs, its appetites, its capacities. Or we may suspect that it's an emphasis on works over the grace that we receive from God. Yes, it's true, there can be distortions in the practice of fasting, just as there can be distortions in any of the practices we undertake if we do them for the wrong reasons. But fasting can yield great dividends. Last summer, we did a four-series teaching on fasting. If you're interested and you didn't hear that teaching, I'd encourage you to go back and look that up on our website. Lynn Babb, in her book, Fasting, Spiritual Freedom Beyond Our Appetites, provides this simple definition Christian fasting is the voluntary denial of something for a specific period of time for a specific spiritual purpose. We fast not just to go on a diet because our new year resolution didn't work. <laughs> we fast to draw ourselves closer to God. In this respect, fasting is much like Sabbath-keeping, a discipline that creates space, in our lives for God. A reminder here at the beginning of the season of Lent is maybe this, what practices, what fast perhaps will we embrace as we turn to God in repentance and draw closer to Him during the season of Lent? There's no perfect or imperfect way to enter into this season. If you haven't thought about it, it doesn't mean it's too late. There's just an invitation to enter into the season of Lent in intentional means. As Jesus entered the desert, keenly aware of his baptism, during Lent we too rehearse and reaffirm our own baptismal promise to renounce the evil powers and sinful desires that may be around us or in us and to trust in the grace of Jesus our Savior and to follow him as our Lord. As we turn inward and as we turn towards God, we can trust God to turn towards us with spiritual grace. After all, this is the invitation given to, by Jesus here in our final verse of our passage today from Mark. The time promised by God has come The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. If you need a refresher on what Jesus is inviting us into in that verse, we spent uh, on January 21st, just a few weeks ago, we spent a full Sunday talking about that verse. We talked about how we think we know what it means, but really if we look at what Jesus was saying, it might surprise you. I'd encourage you to look that up if you need a refresher on that. But we take a deep dive into the invitation to repent and to think differently, to see the world as God intends it, as God created it, and to be transformed through our knowledge of God and through allowing God to know us. But it may be sufficient to say that through our 40-day journey of Lent, through our solitude, through our devotion, perhaps through our fasting, God shapes us and refines us so that we may indeed embrace the invitation of life everlasting that we're moving to here on Easter. The invitation to life, a life abundance. In closing, an encouragement on the season of Lent. The Lent, the word that we use for Lent is a, is a Saxon word. This was kind of in introduced in around the 4th or 5th century, and it means length. It's kind of denoted as the length of seasons, or specifically to springtime. So at least here in the northern hemisphere, when we observe the season of Lent, we do so during the season in which the days are lengthening, the weather is changing, you begin to see signs of new life all around you. How many of you have seen the bulbs already popping up in your garden beds? (laughs) even as Lent progresses with its reflective themes and aesthetic disciplines. Nature around us reminds us the coming celebration of Easter, the resurrection of Christ, and indeed the resurrection of the natural world from the winter into spring. Perhaps even in us, the thawing of our own hearts from fear and isolation into trust and life abundance offered in Christ. As we prepare for even the somber hours during our Good Friday service and the unfathomable silence of Holy Saturday, we do so with the anticipation of the glorious celebration of Easter Sunday. If you haven't been to an Easter Sunday celebration here, it's gonna be great. (laughs) These six weeks are like walking in the moments just before the dawn. As the morning sun begins to light the hilltops before you. Think of the last time you were camping and you rose and looked out just before the dawn and then you see the hills start to light up. It's a beautiful thought. Even as we journey, perhaps in the shadow, may we keep our eyes lifted Toward the dawn, this is the journey of Lent. Thanks be to God.